Welcome to the College Sports Insider, presented by the NCAA and Champion Magazine. I'm Jack Ford, and we're delighted to have with us today David Morrow, who just recently was one of the 2018 NCAA Silver Anniversary Award winners. The Silver Anniversary Awards go to former outstanding college athletes who have gone on to distinction in their lives afterwards, and I think that's a pretty good definition of David Morrow and what he did both as an athlete and afterwards. We're going to talk about all of that with him. Uh, i got to start off by saying he's a Princeton guy. Okay, I'm a Yale football player, so sometimes it's a little bit hard to be applauding Princeton guys. But I will say, in this case, it's not too difficult. David, nice to have you here with us. Thanks. It's great to be here. So I want to talk about um, – let's, let's talk about Princeton and lacrosse first. Sure. Right? Because if, if – Folks now are familiar with Princeton. They know uh, they've had great success over the last couple of decades, six national championships. Uh, But you were there for their first championship. Mm -hmm. So let me start off with how you got to Princeton in the first place. Yeah, that's a wild story. I grew up in Detroit and... Not a hotbed of lacrosse. No, you're talking (laughs) now starting to really date yourself. This is back in the... uh, mid-80s when I decided to uh, develop interest in the sport, and, and it was extremely obscure. Like, where I went to middle school, there were uh, four middle school teams in the entire state, mm-hmm. and my uh, my sixth-grade science teacher sold me my first stick for uh, 20 bucks, and it turned out he was the head coach at Brother Rice High School where I ended up playing, and uh, my passion was hockey. I, I played ice hockey as a little kid. I, my dream was to go play for University of Michigan. I wanted to play in the Olympic team. I wanted to play for the Red Wings. So a lacrosse <laughs> player was, was the last thing I was I was thinking about. And so I get to high school, continue on my hockey career, but, but really start developing a, a passion for lacrosse. But in Michigan, there was only six high school teams in the whole state. Playing lacrosse at that time. Yeah, so it, was, it, was, it wasn't really cons- taken seriously. And so we had to play in this Midwestern League. So we'd play teams from Ohio and we'd play teams from Western Pennsylvania and the Pittsburgh area just so we could get games. And, uh, you know, hockey was really where I was, I was focused, but there was a camp. And it was the summer of my junior year called Top 205. It was the very first time they did a recruiting camp in lacrosse. Now there's... They're all, they're all over the place every, every weekend every, now. Every, yeah, yeah. But, but they were a new thing. That then. was literally the very first one. And it was the and the, the guys who started it were Bill Tierney, Dave Cottle, and Tony Seaman. Okay. And so I... That's, I, that's some lacrosse coaching royalty right there. Exactly. And it was supposedly like the best 205 kids. And so I show up and, I, you know, I'd never been to East Coast before, played against East Coast kids. So I didn't have the cool gear. Like I used to wear like cut off army pants and, you know, a, a sleeveless T-shirt. You know, I You're not looking like the prep school lacrosse boys. No, I looked like a, <laughs> like a Detroit metalhead, you know. And so all these kids were teasing me and I, I was getting really pissed off and I was a defenseman. So I said... Well, unfortunately, if you're an attackman and you're giving me a hard time, right. you know, you're going to pay I get, for I get a chance to extract yeah, <laughs> so, so some I, damages. So I would just chase these guys around, and, and I didn't really know what I was doing, but the one gift I had is I could run really fast. Mm. And so I wasn't really playing the position well, but wh- wherever the guy I was covering had the ball, I would just chase him all over the field. And these coaches were sitting there like, who the hell is this guy <laughs> in the cutoff army pants who's chasing everyone around like a wild man. And right after the second day of the camp, I had all these coaches come up to me and uh, start talking to me about schools. And so 
Uh, Bill Tierney approached me about Princeton. Uh, I got approached by University of Pennsylvania, North Carolina, Johns Hopkins, Brown. So, so all of a sudden, I got inundated with all these uh, schools chasing me down, and it was kind of overwhelming. And and I remember going back and telling my father, and I said, you know, he uh, he he didn't really have a lot of experience with college, and but he you know he was wanted me to go, and he 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 said. Um, you know, what are you thinking about? And I go, well, I'm not sure. And he said, well, I'll ask you a question. And depending on how you answer this question is what you should do. He goes, do you, would you rather see yourself owning a professional hockey team or playing professional hockey? Because I really wanted to go play hockey at Michigan. Right. And I was, that was my dream. And I said, you know, Dad, I really see myself owning the team. And he goes, well, if that's the case, you should go to Princeton mm-hmm. because you'll meet the kind of guys that would help you do that someday. That's, that's some wisdom, isn't it? Yeah, and it, 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 changed, it changed my life. Yeah. So I, uh, I ended up deciding to go there, and you know, no one from my school had a guy. I was like the only guy in my class that got into an Ivy League school, and I think yeah. that year from Michigan there was only seven or eight kids that got into Princeton from Michigan. So it was a really... It was a really intimidating experience, to be honest, you know, coming from the Midwest. And, uh, you know, I used to think, you know, a rich guy was someone whose dad drove a Cadillac and they had a pool. You know, I didn't know what a prep school was. Yeah, people who have buildings named after their family. Similar to you, I get to Yale as a freshman and I'm from, you know, raised by a single mother. I'm from a little tiny public high school in the Jersey Shore. You know, and all of a sudden I show up at Yale and I'm thinking, who are all these people and why have they already taken Greek in high school? (laughs) And I'm trying to figure things out here. It can be intimidating. Well, and they have their, you, you start noticing retail names. Right. And then it's not by accident that someone's last name is Reynolds or Pillsbury or Firestone or DuPont. And you're like, wow, these are actually the people from yeah. these families. Yeah. These, these are not the eclectic branch. <laughs> you know, these are them. Yeah. You know? yeah. And it was in. And, and so how did you how did you how did you adapt? How did you settle in? Let's, uh, it was very hard. I'll be, be honest. I mean, I uh, I. My very first hour at school when my parents left, these mm-hmm. these group of kids in my dorm came up to me and said, hey, what prep school did you go to? <laughs> and I go, I guess my high school, they said it was a college preparatory school. I go, I went to Brother Rice High School. They're like, where the hell is that? I've never heard of that. <laughs> I go, well, where'd you go to school? I go, I went to Exeter or I went to Hotchkiss. Uh-huh. Or I, you know, I'd, I'd never heard of those schools before, right. but as I gained a little bit more experience, those are very kind of fancy East Coast boarding mm-hmm. schools. And... So right away, I was kind of turned off by it, and um, thank goodness that same afternoon we had a picnic with the lacrosse team. So I go, wow, now I'm meeting guys from Long Island and from Jersey and Philly and upstate New York, and it was the freshman. Kind of look like you, sound like you. Yeah, and I started feeling more comfortable, but then this one guy, you hear this guy talking with this funny accent, and all these guys kind of knew each other playing lacrosse on the East Coast, and I said... Hey, you know, what's your name? And he's like, oh, my name's Tor Morrow. I go, where are you from? He goes, I'm from Long Island. And I go, where's that? <laughs> and he goes, he perks up and he looks at me. He goes, oh, yeah, where are you from? And I go, I'm from Detroit. And he's, where the <laughs> F is that? You know, and then he starts coming at me. And he's like, who the hell is this guy? He doesn't know Long Island. He starts breaking my balls and starts coming after me. And I go, wow. 
Yeah. You know, I, I, maybe this will be okay. Yeah, right? I, I thought Long Island was uh, was like Martha's Vineyard or something. <laughs> yeah. like, I didn't I didn't even know what it was. I'd never been there before, so it was yeah. it was a bit of an adjustment phase. But um, you know, over time, my that guy ended up becoming one of my best friends, and yeah. the uh, the uh, lacrosse team is really what 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 centered me. But but the hard part was is you know I came from this where I was kind of the tallest stump in the swamp, if you will, mm-hmm. being the best lacrosse player in Michigan. And then when I showed up at our first practice in the fall, it became very apparent to me that I was the worst one on the team. <laughs> and I was so far behind in lacrosse IQ, I, I couldn't even understand the drills because I didn't understand the little slang terms. And well, the, you hadn't been exposed to it. Exactly. So I'd stand in the back of the line and I'd be making mistakes all the time. And I'd, I just felt really out of place. And it took me about three weeks, and I uh, unfortunately uh, tried tried to quit the team, you know, because mm-hmm. I said this just isn't for me. I uh, I don't belong here. So without telling Coach T, I went to the hockey coach, and I said, you know, I'm a I'm a hockey player. He goes, yeah, we know who you are. Mm-hmm. Goes, I said, I'm I'm trying lacrosse, but it's really not working out. Could I play on the team? He goes, well, you know, we've been playing since August, and if you're going to play, you know, we, we want you to get back in shape. So you're going to have to skate with the JV team and then give you a month and then we'll, we'll look at moving you up. I said, that's fine. So I just stopped showing up for lacrosse practice and, and started showing up to hockey practice. Now, it's interesting. I'm going to jump ahead for one second so that our listeners can understand. Because ultimately, you became the National Player of the Year. Not the, just the National Defense Player man, of the Year. The National Player of the Year, right? So, that's right? so that's fast forwarding. So let's go back now to freshman year. So how does this all play out now? So I, uh, I get a call from like not being at practice for a week. And Coach T goes, where, where have you been, man? He goes, you got to come in the office. I said, well, you know, Coach, I've... After going to all these practices, it's become apparent to me that I, I can't do this. So um, I'm going to join the hockey team, and I've been practicing with them for the past week. He goes, you are? And then he closes his door, and you know we don't have to get into the, <laughs> the detail details, of the ex- expletives. But I know he, Coach Tierney a little bit, so I can envision what they might have been. He really laid into me, and uh, I... Uh, Anyways, I was too. I said, "Oh, he goes. I brought you here for a reason. You know, I think you can do it." And I go, "Okay, okay, I'll, I'll stick with it." So then I, kind of sheepishly, backed out of my commitment for hockey. And then the hockey coach was pissed off because he <laughs> thought Coach Tierney was mm-hmm. intervening. And so, so anyways, I just after about a month and a half at school, I just wanted to go home. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I stick it out with the lacrosse team and really pra- practice player, kind of the guy who'd get on the field towards the end of the game if you were winning or losing by a lot. Mm-hmm. But, but never had uh, really much playing experience. I had my freshman year, what I remember the most was the worst loss of my playing career in any sport. Our home, our opener was always against Hopkins at mm-hmm. Homewood Field. And, you know, we we're wearing our all proud to have your Princeton lacrosse jacket on and people are yelling out the window, their cars making <laughs> fun of you, calling you Ivy League wimps and all this stuff. And we end up losing 20 to eight and it was tough. I mean, and then you had, I was in Bill's second recruiting class, so you still had the juniors and seniors from the old guard. Right. And I'd never been in a game in my life where guys in your own team were going, we're going to get killed. Yeah. Before the game, they're going, this is a joke. These guys are going to kill us. Huh. And I'm, I was thinking to myself, I've never in my life played with anybody in any sport that's huh. said that. And sure enough, we got our brains beat in. But what was cool about that is fast forward to the, playoffs we we qualify for the playoffs for the first time in 
ever, I think. And then <laughs> since we were the last seed, who do we match up against is Hopkins. And Johns Hopkins had been into at least the quarterfinals for 25 yeah, years. Yeah, that extraordinary run of success. Yeah, we ended up beating them. Uh-huh. We beat them in the first round of the championship and ended up, unfortunately, losing to your alma mater <laughs> in the quarterfinals. But the, That's all right. You made that up a little a couple of years later. Yeah. You did that. So what, what was it then for you? How did the light go on? How did you go from being, you know, as I said, the starting point you just described, the end point, as I mentioned, is the National Player of the Year on a team the year before that wins the national championship. So what happened in between? So at the end of the season, you have this exit interview with the coach. He does it with every returning player. Kind of gives you the pep talk, what you got to do for the summer. So he comes to me, and his last day of school, he goes, well, Dave, you know, we... We're expecting big things from you next year. We graduated a bunch of seniors, and my plan is to start you. And I'm going, you're going to start me? I've, I've, I've never even played. And he goes, so uh, I expect all this preparation to be done over the summer and you know, hand you the workouts and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. And I was naive enough to think he was actually talking directly to me. Meanwhile, that's what they tell everyone, <laughs> you know, to get you motivated over uh, the summer. But I really took it seriously, and I was freaking out because I go – I this is I can't I'm not prepared for this so all summer long I'm running and I'm lifting and I'm doing my my summer job working in my dad's factory and I'm just sitting there freaking out and I come back for this for the fall ball ready to go and and I I'm starting to play pretty well and he goes okay he goes you proved yourself so um we're going to start you I said you know our first games against Hopkins at Hopkins he goes yeah I know <laughs> I said uh, who am I going to cover he goes I'm going to have you cover their best attackman, who was a senior, who was their leading scorer. I said, you got to be kidding me. He goes, they'll never see it coming. And this is a guy who, who scores seven, eight points a game. Right. And, uh, and he was probably, you know, I was five, ten, or 11, six foot. This guy's like six, four, big, strong guy. And I said, really? He goes, yep, that's what we're going to do. It's an interesting sort of compliment for him to say they'll never see it coming. <laughs> they never well, expected it. Yeah, and so here I am, literally can't get a wink of sleep for now three months. I've got this guy's picture on the wall. I'm thinking about him every single hour of every single day that I'm not in class. I'm running, I'm lifting, I'm doing everything I can because I don't want to embarrass myself in front of 15,000 people. And fast forward to the game, when you play at Homewood Field and you're visiting when they announce your name, the whole crowd holds up a newspaper and says, who's he at the same time? Right. So they, you know, they're listing all the guys and I'm freaking out in the tunnel. I feel like I'm going to throw up. I'm so nervous. And then they go, David Morrow from Detroit, Michigan. And at that time, nobody was from Michigan. The crowd started laughing. Did they really? Yeah. And so then I'm just, I run out there and I'm going, oh my God. And then I, and then we, we, we get to the lineup and then I, I match up against him. And this guy's from Long Island. He's who the hell is this guy? He's not even on the scouting report. They got some mutt covering me, you know, and they're, he's just talking smack right, right from the get-go, and I'm just freaking out. You know, I don't want to make a mistake. I want to play well. So we fast-forward. We beat Hopkins. The guy, I think, gets, like, one assist. He, had, he hadn't had one point in, in, I think, his whole college career in a game, uh-huh. and I'd never been interviewed before. And so we win. The star gets held to one assist. All these port reporters run up. And, and they go, what did you think? What was it like? What, you did such a good job. And I go, I, I just said the first thing that came to my mind, which was I shouldn't have said, but I go, 
he really wasn't as good as I thought he was. That's great. Because in my mind, <laughs> I built this guy up to yeah. be Superman. Yeah. And then you ask about the moment. Mm-hmm. That was the moment no. because I think what separates good from great is when you start to have self-confidence. And I, I never had that self-confidence. And then when that moment happened, and it was something I never thought I could do, then Bill basically pulls me in the office the next day. He goes, look, buddy, you have one good game. You don't start talking smack in the newspapers. And I said, well, coach, I didn't know they were going to write that. He goes, well, they're reporters. They're going to write whatever you say. So, so anyways, from that point on, he would just have me cover the other guy's best mm-hmm. attackman, and I would just shut him down. And that year we made it to the quarterfinals and, and lost to, to Towson. But uh, – for me, it was rewarding because I was a. They named me a third team All American, and and that was even though it wasn't a big honor, it was so far beyond what I thought I could do. Because when I decided to stay on the team, fall of my freshman year, the goal I set for myself is I want to be a starter by the time I'm a senior. That's that was my goal, yeah. and so I started performing way beyond that, and then my mind started open and just saying, you know, I think. Really, if I keep doing what Coach T tells me to do, anything's possible. Yeah. And, and another great illustration of a coach who recognizes something in somebody, even when you didn't recognize it in yourself, and he knew how to grow that within you. Yeah, the the the, the, the gift that I had, you, you know, is I was very, very, very fast. Mm. I could mm-hmm. run really fast, so. I didn't really have great lacrosse skills, yeah. but I was. But you're one of these guys. My son was an attackman. You hated you guys. He would rather. He would always say, "I'll take the six foot five guy." You know, just don't give me the five eleven six foot guy who can run with me, exactly, or faster than me. And that's that what was you were. basically my game. And then I just, I made a career of being a shutdown defenseman. And mm-hmm. my my idol growing up was Dave Petromala, who's sure. the coach at Hopkins, right. who I played with on the U.S. team in 94. And he was a takeaway defenseman. Right. And that's what I wanted to be. I wanted to be just like him and be a takeaway defenseman. And my freshman year, I tried to do that. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't because mm. I didn't know how. And Bill goes, David, just run with the guy. Mm-hmm. Put your stick in front of him, run with him. Nobody can run by you. Mm-hmm. And I go, well, that's boring. He goes, I don't care. As long as the guy doesn't <laughs> it works. score, it works. you're helping the team. And then that's what I did. And it just it ended up uh, you know, taking me to levels that I never, ever thought were remotely possible. So you, you guys, the next year, junior year, you win a national championship. The first for Princeton? Yep. First beat in... Syracuse in double overtime. Uh-huh. And uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a really... That was a really pivotal point in my life because we, we go to, we go to uh, the Final Four. That was the first one I'd ever been to, right? So I didn't even know what kind of event it was. So the I first one you've ever been to or seen you're playing in. Yeah, and there's 35,000 people there at Franklin Field and Pen- University of Pennsylvania. And all these buddies of mine from Michigan that I grew up with drove out. And it was, uh, it was wild. Like, I, I remember walking out of the tunnel looking around going, I can't believe there's this many people here. And that, that semifinal game ended up being probably one of the best games I've ever played in my career. I mean, you know, as a, as a defenseman, very rarely does a defenseman outscore the attackman that he's covering. But, uh, <laughs> That's pretty cool, especially in a Final Four. Yeah, I had two goals that game. And, and what was wild is that was also how the Warrior story started because in that game was when we were using the titanium handles that I developed. And so uh, we end up winning. Right. The team's using the titanium handles, and that's kind of how right. 
not only you've, was it a good personal event, but it really was what launched Warrior. You've, you've segued nicely for me yeah. in this conversation, as yeah. I mentioned. National Championship, and next year, National Player of the Year, not just the Defenseman of the Year, two years in a row, but National Player of the Year. So great lacrosse success. But th- tell me, so, so you create Warrior Lacrosse, and you do it basically while you're playing. Yeah. To, how does that happen? So you got to go take the roots back to Detroit. Mm-hmm. Okay, Detroit's a manufacturing community. I had what I would call a non-traditional childhood where most kids grew up mowing lawns or caddying or painting or my dad owned lots of heavy manufacturing uh, shops, fabrication shops. And so when I was 13 years old for my birthday in this June, my dad gave me work boots and a work uniform and alarm clock and he's like you're going to start working for me so from a very young age I was working in a shop environment and I was basically a skilled tradesman so I learned how to weld and I learned how to run I'm guessing you were probably the only welder at Princeton University yeah yeah for sure that's a whole whole other story I mean when I wrote my first personal experience essay for English class I wrote about the guys that worked in my work cell Because to say that I had a colorful summer would be an understatement, right? Because I was a young teenager basically hanging out with men. So it was was interesting, to say the least. And so when I wrote these stories, she goes, you know, this is really amazing. You know, you have a great imagination. But she goes, this is supposed to be real. I said, it is real. I go, I'd be happy to introduce you to these (laughs) folks if you want to meet them. And my dad... When I when I got first got there, I went to the bookstore and bought all the guys in my work cell a Princeton shirt, and I sent it back to the shop. And my dad said, he goes, you know, Dave, they haven't taken those damn shirts off for two weeks. <laughs> and he said one of the guys came in with a black eye because he got in a fight with his neighbor because his neighbor didn't believe him. He used to work with a guy who went to Princeton. <laughs> That's great. That is. Great. So, so you've got this background in in yeah. using your hands and 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 machinery and machining things and creating things. So how is it then that all of a sudden you you have this thought about creating a better stick while you're actually playing? Well, it, it all came from the fact that I was a very aggressive defenseman. And back then, the only options you had for a defense shaft, which people may not know as a six feet long stick, was a wood, which was very heavy, or you could have this traditional like 6,000 series aluminum, which is really soft. So every time you check somebody, your stick would bend. So as a defenseman, your stick always had these S curves in it, and you're constantly trying to straighten it out. But your stick was always out of balance because you never played with a straight stick. And so it got to a point where, you know, my dad was watching me go on and off the field, go on and off the field. And, you know, we had we had, had a project that we were working on at work, which was which was actually two guys from Penn that had had started a company called Atlas Snowshoe. And it was one of the first, it was the first synthetic snowshoe where it had an aluminum frame with a rubber decking and kind of an aluminum claw. You'd uh, um, strap your boot in. And one, they were, their, their snowshoes were bending too much. So they said, we need to look at alternative materials. And we brought in all kinds of high strength aluminums and titaniums was one of the materials that we tested. And so we had the titanium there. It was for a completely different application. Right. But when it came time to, to solve the problem, you know, that was one of the things, you know, as my dad's like, why don't we try the titanium? And uh, we, he sent, made samples and he sent them to me. This was in 
April of 92, so we had the bye going into the playoffs, and then I brought it to practice, and Coach T goes, what the hell is that? And I said, it's a new shaft. It's really light and really strong and really well on guys. I said, can I use it? He goes, yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah, so all those things are good. Why wouldn't I let you use it? Yeah, and by the end of practice, other guys wanted to use it, so yeah. we made them for our team, and that year we won. Mm-hmm. And I think it was – I don't remember the coach, but one of the coaches that lost in the semifinals – Made a big deal. On I was going to ask you about that. If somebody raised it as they an did. issue at all, and you know now you're really dating yourself. This is pre-internet. Mm-hmm. Social media doesn't even mm-hmm. exist. And this coach says we had this product that gives you an unfair advantage, and that's why Princeton won. Then all these other coaches heard about it. And <laughs> how so, do we get it? <laughs> how do we get it? So then they call my dad's machine shop, which is not geared up to make lacrosse sticks. And then my dad pulled me in the office and he said, "Look." People are calling and they want to buy these things. He goes, I think we should start a company. I was an English major. I didn't know anything about <laughs> starting a company, but I grew up, my father was a serial entrepreneur and had many, many small businesses. So he said, let's do it. So I go, all right, let's do it. And then we decided to name it Warrior because that was the name of my high school as the Brother Rice Warriors. Oh, and that's when I started to really develop my passion for lacrosse and we, we basically spent this from the summer of 92 through the spring of 93 developing it as an actual product because it started out round and then we would just mm-hmm. end form it so it could fit on a mm-hmm. head, but we wanted to make it octagonal. Right. And the supplier who we bought the original raw material from was in Dearborn, Michigan. So the, 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 tech, the technology at the time was taking the, the round tube and making it octagonal and still making it strong enough. So that was the R&D, and then once we had that, we launched it in the spring of 93, so I'm still at school. You're still a, school, you're still a student. I'm still a student, and then one of my best friends from high school had played at, uh, or had just graduated from Michigan State, and then he comes, he basically is the guy answering the phones. Because mm-hmm. the way we launched the company is we basically took two shafts, a defense shaft and an attack shaft, and we sent one to every single college coach in the country and then we sent him a bill. You did. Because we didn't have the, the money to do it. And then, and then we figured we'd get most of them back. Right. Everybody kept them, and everybody paid for them except for two guys. I don't remember who it was. And, yeah. but, and then everyone, not only who kept them and paid for them, ordered more. And so it started just as a 1-800 number. Right. And you could call this 1-800 number and order just these titanium shafts, which at the time were just these raw tubes that were cut with... Right. There's no branding, no logos on them or anything like that. And so I come back in June of 93, and uh, I had no idea what to do. I mean, it kind of reminded me a lot of my first day of my freshman year at lacrosse. And so Mm -hmm. I come back, and I go into my dad's office, and I go, what? You've you've now graduated from college. Graduated from college. And I said, what do I do? do?" And, you know, he's a pretty tough guy. And he goes, are you kidding me? He goes, I just spent all this damn money sending you to Princeton, and you're coming to my office asking me what the what hell What do I do? do? He goes, go figure it out. That's what you should do. So I go, wow. The second great piece of advice that he gave you. Yeah, so I go, uh, okay, I guess that's one approach. And so I go, well, I know a lot of coaches, so I'm going to call the coaches and see if I can sell them sticks. And just started learning it on the on, on the fly. And, you know, it's uh, my very first investor my dad invested in the business and then uh you know most people don't know but my other two investors were my wife 
<laughs> who at the time was my girlfriend at Princeton. Right. She was a geochemist. <laughs> and then she is a year ahead of me. She quits mm-hmm. her job as a geochemist in Boulder, Colorado, moves to Detroit basically to become my partner. She does all the finance operations mm-hmm. while I'm working on you know, the product marketing sales, but she didn't really know anything about it either. And my other investor kind of circles back to my dad's story was my senior year roommate. His name is uh, Billy Frist. And so Billy, sure. you know, father know the was the, in Tennessee, started HCA. Yep. And, and yep. so, so Billy, Billy was really the one that gave me the financial wherewithal to, to really great, get it to where it was. So, I mean, my dad got me started, but right. without Christine and without Billy, Billy, Warrior Lacrosse would have never... Just been. one of the great American success stories, how it, how it just sort of organically happened. Give me the, the, yeah. this last question or two. Yeah. But, I, but I want people to get a sense of, of, you know, we talked about how you went from that freshman year saying, this isn't for me, to becoming the national player of the year, yeah. playing on a national championship team. Warrior lacrosse starts with basically, you know, you're just you're just bending the hell out of all of your sticks mm-hmm. and, and figure out I got to find something that that works here, and all of a sudden it becomes warrior lacrosse. Tell me about what Warrior is right now. Give us a sense of the size of the company and and what it's become. Yeah. So fast forward now, you know, Warrior is the the global leader in in lacrosse. Uh, we have a, a very large ice hockey business, one of the global leaders in, in ice hockey, being my passion. You know, mm-hmm. it's a very large business. We, uh, we were owned by New Balance. Mm-hmm. So in 2004, I sold the business to, to New Balance, and that's what really gave me the horsepower to, to grow the business to, to, to what it is today. We, we launched Warrior into global soccer. I did that in 2011. So I had to I had to launch Warrior in 85 countries, and have since transitioned that that business into into New Balance. But I mean, Warrior has sold probably over two billion dollars worth of uh, uh, sports equipment. You know, over the years, we we have 700 employees across the world. Our corporate office is in uh, Detroit, but we have a, a hockey stick design office in San Diego. We have a large manufacturing plant for custom pro hockey sticks in Tijuana. Our hockey R&D centers in Montreal. We have another office in Boston. Our European office to service European hockey is in Munich, right outside of Munich. And then we have a large sourcing office in Shenzhen, China to handle all of our our, uh, Asia-Pac sourcing. It's just astonishing what it's grown. So last question for you. When, would you ever have envisioned what you've just described to me now at that moment when your dad said to you, just go out and figure it out? Hell no. <laughs> no way, because, you know, the one thing you learn is everything big starts small, yeah. right? I mean, Apple started in Steve Jobs' garage, right? I mean, you can point to every single thing starts with one person or a couple people. And I think the reason companies have this success isn't because you start out thinking I'm going to build a company doing hundreds of millions of dollars in sales or I'm going to try to make a lot of money. I think the reason these companies become extraordinarily successful is because they come from passion. 
is that the, the founders have a true passion for what they do and that just comes through in their work and then that makes their products excellent and that's what attracts people to what they're doing is their passion brings a level of, of excellence and you know that's that's what I learned from Coach T you know is he took a bunch of underdogs a bunch of nobodies and the reason we won the national championship my uh, first one in 92 is because he would start every practice with we are going to win a national championship this is how we're going to do it that's how he recruited me he came into my house and he said we are going to win a national championship. I go, this guy's crazy. Princeton sucks. They've had a losing record for 20 years. I go, we're going to win a national championship? He might have been crazy, but he ended up being right. Well, yeah, because he, he, he had a big vision, and he was able to get people to believe. So the guys on the team started to believe, and that's what I learned from him is that you have to go at anything with a big vision, and you have to be an inspirational leader, and you have to get people to believe. If the people on your team don't believe, it will never happen, no matter what you do. It's way bigger than sports, and I think that's what served me well through my through my whole career. That's a great message. Dave, again, congratulations to you uh, on the award and, and just a, a marvelous lacrosse career and career afterwards. It was a pleasure talking to you. Thank you. Right, you be well. Thanks. That does it then for this edition of College Sports Insider. I want to thank you for joining us. I'm Jack Ford. We'll look forward to talking with you again real soon. <laughs>